We'd like to welcome everyone to the second season of Scripture in Black and White. I'm Bobby Harrington, and I'm here with my friend Anthony Walker. Sir, nice to be here. So in this second season, we are going, going to focus on marriage and the family. And uh, I, I'm, I'm big on marriage and the family. In fact, uh, just personally, one of the most important things in my life has been uh, family, marriage, uh, my parents, my wife, of course, my kids, and I have grandkids. So, um, yeah, marriage and family is a big topic for me. How about you, Anthony? Likewise, it is very important. Um, I wouldn't be the minister that I am. I wouldn't be currently the man that I am if it were not for my marriage, uh, my kids. Uh, they teach me uh, so much about God, so much about grace, mercy, uh, so much about diligence, and even the value in what this means, not just for me now, but what it's going to mean for them in the next generation. So yeah. very important. So let's, Anthony, let's begin by uh, talking about our own marriage and family situation. So um, uh, I want to start with my parents and if you will, share about yours as well, because I know in the previous season you talked a little bit about that, uh, but we, we bring our backgrounds with us when we look at what Scripture says. So for me, uh, I grew up, of course, you know this, but in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, to uh, a proper Canadian family, which meant that there was a lot of British influence. My grandfather had uh, been from London, and you know I grew up, uh, where we drank tea uh, after most meals. And uh, British people really influenced the family in terms of tradition. So traditions were big in my family, especially Sunday meals and things like that. So I'm going to bring some of that perspective in. So I grew up in a family with three sisters, and my parents are still alive. So my dad will be 90 in February. My mother just turned 87 on Monday of this week. But catch this, this coming New Year's Eve, my parents will have been married 70 years. Wow. Yeah. 70 years of marriage. Yeah. So, and uh, if you'd have looked at them when I was like around 16, you'd have thought there's no way that couple's still gonna be married. Uh, so I grew up in a home, my dad struggled with alcoholism and infidelity and uh, uh, it was, it was not a pretty picture. But uh, uh, after I came to follow Jesus when I was 20, my dad, first my mom and then my dad, came to follow Jesus, and it literally saved their marriage. I had grown up where my parents were separated four times when I was growing up. Like, like legally separated, we're going to get divorced. Uh, and my dad came to faith in Jesus, and uh, he changed him. Uh, and uh, save their marriage. And here's the good thing. So my dad had a lot of regrets. He made amends for them. Uh, he had a lot of uh, reason to make amends to my mom. Sure. Uh, but now what's happened is in these last five years, my dad takes care of my mom. Like my mom is now really struggling with dementia. And uh, if it weren't for my dad taking care of her, you know, she would just be in a room all by herself. But my dad takes care of her. He takes her out in the wheelchair in assisted living and 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 uh, takes her to church some. 
uh, when he can and things like that. And so it's real beautiful uh, to see how God redeemed that marriage. So I look at it now and uh, 70 years. So that's, that's amazing. Now, here's my story. Uh, I got married fairly young and uh, I was 21 years of age when I got married. And uh, we have been married this Christmas. We will have been married 44 years. So uh, I'm the old married guy now, and uh, we have two wonderful children, uh, and I'm so grateful to God they follow Jesus. And now I'm watching because I have five grandchildren. And when this, this topic comes up, one of the thoughts I had is, uh, when we're recording it, one of the thoughts I had is, I want to say things well mm-hmm. for my grandchildren yeah. because they're going to learn about marriage in part from their grandfather. So anyway, that's my background. Uh, that's where I'm come into this conversation. My kids are, uh, my daughter's 40, my son's 37. Uh, my daughter has two boys and my son has two girls and a boy. So that's my, that's my story of marriage in the family. So uh, my mom and dad, uh, they married young. I think they were about 23 when they got married. Uh, my dad had a heart issue um, that would contribute to his death two years after they had me. So, you know, that that just really rocked my mom's life. Um, and so as a result of her depression and, and challenges that she went through, I was raised primarily by my grandmother. Um, and so what that does to a young man, uh, we need our mom and dad. Uh, that's just what we need. So you, you grow up and you need that kind of, you know, influence from a man. And my grandmother and my mom both put me around godly men at an early age because they knew I needed that influence. And later, uh, my mom remarried. Uh, my stepfather and I, we had some challenges early on in their marriages and in our relationship. And thanks be to God, now we're in a good space. Uh, we've been in a good space for a minute. Um, but but what that's done for me is is really shown me how, you know, marriage is vitally important uh, for the family. God knew what he was doing with marriage uh, and with parenting and raising kids. Uh, my wife uh, and I, we married, as you say, fairly young. Uh, we were 25 and um, my wife comes from a, a family. Uh, her parents both were, you know, they divorced and they've both remarried. So that kind of divorce coming up in a family of divorce has influenced her perspective on marriage to say, hey, we got to stay in this thing because of how it impacts the kids. So both of us have a background that wasn't ideal, but has contributed to our perspective on we got to make this work. Yeah. You know, we really have to be intentional about making this work. We've been married now for 14 years. Uh, we have two kids, uh, one 10 and one eight. So you're just like 40 years of age. Just turned 40 this year. <laughs> I am now a man. I'm 40. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so, you know, that that is going to impact our kids. And, and there are days where uh, you'll know, and we'll get through this in the season, marriage has its challenges. It has its ups and downs. But but again, where we fall back on is we got to make this work. 
So it's we we are intentional about working on it, about enriching our marriage. And there are days where it's like, look at our kids. You know, they get to experience a life that we didn't have by this time in my in my wife's life. You know, when she was 10, eight years old, her parents had divorced by this time in my life. When I was that age, uh, I didn't have my dad with me. Yeah. So they're getting to experience life in that way. But then secondly, you know, we're looking at our marriage as what it's going to mean to them, even in their marriage. You know, they're going to have something to fall back on. Our prayer is to say, hey, mom and dad, they hung in there, you know, through the tough times, through the issues, through ministry and its challenges, through the good days. I mean, we have a we have a great time. We have a lot of fun. And so um, that's our uh, story on marriage and family. Oh, that's good. Anthony, one thing for you to add, because uh, you and I have talked about this, is that you had the real privilege uh, of being discipled by some older Christian men yes. in your growing up years. Like, yes. like it, you may not have had your father, but you had godly men yes. in the church. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So Charles Beeman uh, is, I, I I wouldn't say he mentored me or discipled me. He's still doing that even yeah, to this yeah. day. Um, I, I, we talked about this just last week. Um, I'm the age now when he was really beginning to pour into me, uh, that he was. He was about 38, 40 years old when he began pouring into me. But now at this age in my life, he's been 40 before. He can help me navigate these. Uh, areas. But what that did for me growing up, uh, it helped to show me what it means to be a godly man, not just a man. Uh, there are lots of examples in the world that can tell you, oh, this is a man or this is a, and they're all varied definitions. But he showed me and continues to show me what it means to be a godly man uh, and gave me something to aim for, uh, but also still a reference. And, and then after I left the home church where I was with him, uh, he challenged me that now it's your turn to do that to someone else. Uh, and initially that was kind of a daunting task because I'm thinking you've done so much for me. You've taught me in the word. You've taught me in skills and in life. Uh, but one of the things that kind of breaks down what he did for me, and this is an, a, a point to discipleship and disciple making, it's not about adding something to your calendar to let's say, okay, on this event, we're going to make a disciple. It's really about adding someone to your calendar, the things you're already doing. Take somebody with you. There you go. We're all, he's already going to a conference. Come with me. He's already going to visit the sick. Come with me. Come enjoy. I'm working in my garden. Come work on this. And that showed me so much in life. Boy, that's so good. You know, Anthony, uh, in some cases, the majority of young men are growing up today in homes without fathers. And so the vision of what you experienced, we just want to really encourage that in our churches uh, and for uh, single moms and for, um, I guess, churches and single moms will be the two biggest ones. Yes. Yes. But but that that's what we do okay. is that we, we raise up men uh, when fathers aren't there to disciple the boys because somebody's going to disciple the boys. Yes. And uh, the best person to do that is a godly man. Yes. And I'm so grateful for that story and that legacy that you have. Yes, sir. Yes. By the way, just for our audience to know, 
Anthony's wife is beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely. Jenny and the kids came to my house this past Sunday night, and I was thinking, what a beautiful family. Now, now, now you're beautiful, and she's beautiful uh, on the inside. Yes. Uh, but it's just kind of a cool thing to see how God's worked in your life and her life and uh, of your, your wonderful, well-behaved, I might add, well-behaved children. They came to our house last night. We had a, a group of uh, ministers and pastors gathered, and the boys, uh, actually it's your son and daughter, went upstairs and uh, watched a movie or uh, that kind of stuff. So Had a great time. All right. All right, brother. So uh, let's look at what the Bible says as we begin our series. And uh, I'd kind of like to go back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis. It's a great place to start, the beginning. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to start with Genesis chapter 2, and uh, I'm going to read it, and then let's talk about it, if you'll jump in after I read it. And the Bible describes the creation of Adam and Eve. You have the sort of the macro picture in Genesis 1, and then the micro picture in Genesis 2. So here's what it says. Uh, it says that uh, God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So that's Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And of course, God gives him the instructions uh, about that they can eat from any tree, but not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So this is the time of, of innocence for human beings. Verse 18 says this, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone, I will make a helper suitable for him. So the idea is that God created Adam. Adam was alone, but uh, it's not good for man to be alone. In other words, uh, one, we'll come back to this later. Sometimes people have to live alone, and sometimes God even has a unique calling for men to be single, like the Apostle Paul said he had that as a gift. But by and large, it's not good for man to be alone. Yes. So he said, I will make a helper suitable for him. Now that word for helper, uh, my friend Renee Sproles, pulling together everything the Bible says about it, says we might think of it as strong help. It's not like somebody who's just, yeah, I'm gonna, you're doing it and I'm just gonna help you. No, no, it's a strong partner. Yes. So the text says, and I'll, I'll finish the text and then you jump in. Now the Lord God had formed out of the, out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. So he brings them to the man, the man names him. And then it says in verse 20, again, but for Adam no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Verse 24, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Mm. Mm. One thing I want to go back to, Bobby, that I think is interesting uh, in the creation narrative uh, in chapter one 
every iteration of things that God created, he says, and it was good and it was good and it was good. And then he creates man and he says, it's very good. But here, as we get into the micro of it in chapter two, the first time that we find this not good scenario is when he says it is not good for man Ooh, to be alone. Like that. Isn't that interesting true, yeah. that all of this good, but here's one thing that is not good. The other thing that, that I, I find in that uh, text, and we'll dig into this, is God recognized what man needed before man understood that there's a problem in this scenario. And even in our lives, you know, the world that we live in now, we, we have all this education, we have all this uh, economy, we have all these things that we have. Sometimes we don't recognize our own situation as it really is. And so we have to lean on God to say, hey, God, you know what I need. You know who I need to be in my life. He says, hey, it's not good for him to be alone. Let me make someone who is a strong help for him. Oh, that's good. Uh, I was looking for, uh, and I found it, uh, it's a great line by a, a commentator on the Hebrew text of the Old Testament, Matthew Henry, mm -hmm. uh, some time ago. Uh, I love what he said about the creation account. He said about the woman, the woman, uh, that the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his heel to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be loved. Yes, I like that. I like that too. That is awesome. That is awesome. So how do we want to dig into this, Bobby, as far as what this uh, joining together uh, of, of man and woman, he, he's made man, obviously, he puts him in the garden, he makes woman from the rib of man, but now they are joined together. As it says at the end, therefore man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife that they shall become one flesh. Yeah. This is marriage, yeah. right? Why is that so important? So there's some important things that need to be said here. The first thing is that the entire Bible bases God's teaching on marriage, marriage and divorce uh, on this text. Uh, so what God's doing is he's not just telling the story, the narrative in history where the man and woman came from. He's also saying, here's the meaning. So we've already talked about the meaning. It's not good for a man to be alone. We can assume it's not good for a woman to be alone. Sure, sure. Uh, so he brings them together. And uh, I want to read this part to you from verse 24, because in a Jewish context, it was really important. And here's what it is. That is why, in other words, she shall be called a woman, for she was taken out of man, and God brings them together. Then he says in verse 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become literally one flesh. Yes. So in the ancient Hebrew world, you had to think that the man is the head of the home. And what's happening is, a man leaves his father and mother. So a man 
leaves his home and he starts a new home with his wife. So he starts a home. She joins him as his uh, equal partner and they are, he's united and they become one flesh, which is strange. It, you know, it's a metaphor for the sexual relationship. They become one flesh uh, when they're physically intimate. And by the way, uh, the picture here is the goodness of the sexual relationship because it says Adam and his wife Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. So this is like innocence and purity. So it's a man and a woman establishing a family unit. They become one flesh, uh, which is epitomized by the sexual relationship, but it's so much more. So their oneness of the, the one flesh is physical, it's emotional, it's social, it's psychological, uh, it's biological, because they're going to have children. In fact, we know from Genesis chapter 1, uh, the, the macro picture on marriage, that God's plan is that marriage would result in offspring, that, that God said, uh, reproduce and multiply, fill the earth. So his plan is a man leaves his family, he establishes a new family with his wife, they become one flesh, and they have lots of children. Bobby, I want, I want to make a point that I'm sure we will keep coming back to. And when we look at how marriage and the family is designed to prepare young people, young man, young woman, for the launching off into yes. a new dynamic. Yes. That, that's what the family is designed. So that young man, the parents are raising him, teaching him, guiding him to a point in life that now, son, it's time for you. You're ready to leave father and mother through love and through uh, their own fellowship together and intimacy together to create offspring to do the same thing. Likewise, even with the church, right? Our churches are functioning. One, one great dynamic of the church is that we're preparing those to leave this place <laughs> and go and launch another which is designed for offspring to continue. Oh, that's good. Yeah, one of the ways that some of my friends describe it is that the multiplication of churches uh, is part of the mandate of Genesis chapter 1, reproduce and multiply. Because why? Because at the end of the day, God is seeking, in the words of Malachi, God is seeking godly offspring. Like, why did God create the world? Well, God created the world to be in relationship with as many as possible. Yes. And, and how's that done? Well, uh, here's how it's done. In the family, you have a family that raises children. Those children go out and they multiply families, and those families all learn to trust and follow Jesus, yes. okay? But uh, also the church as a, as a bigger family is going to multiply so that at the end, I mean, here's why I think the Bible teaches that God lets human history keep going, is God wants to maximize the number of people who have said, God, I care about you. I want to love you with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I want to love other people as myself. I want to do it the way Jesus teaches. And people who want a relationship with God, that's the ultimate goal of family and church and multiplying both of them. 
Man, that's awesome, Bobby. That's awesome. So this, you know, these reasons that we're dealing with for marriage. Uh, one one line that I give my church, and you may respond to, and 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 help me help us with that. I tell the church, marriage is not just about I'm cute, you're cute, we're cute. Let's be cute together. Like yeah. it's it's deeper than that. Yeah. There are some reasons that are really deep as to what this marriage is is for. It's formulated by reason, by purpose of God, but there also is a purpose for the marriage itself. Could you help us, Bobby, with some of those yeah. reasons and yeah. we'll break it so, down? Uh, I want to give you four reasons that I see in Scripture for marriage. Um, and then let's come back and talk about, like, how do you... How do people decide who they're going to get married? Because the presupposition in the Genesis chapter 2 text, mm -hmm. as it was originally written for the Jewish people in the Old Testament period, is most of those marriages would have been arranged marriages. Mm -hmm. So I want to circle back to that. Okay. However a person gets married, uh, God teaches us how to think about that marriage. And I would say that there's four reasons for marriage. So let me start with the first one uh, that some people talk like is the only reason. And the first purpose of marriage is for godly offspring, is to have children. Like as a parent, you know this and I know this, and it's so exciting even when you see your kids have kids, is because these are people you want to enjoy and love. When I look back on my life, the most the the parts that brought me the greatest happiness it's my wife and kids. Yes. It, it's the joy of my kids. It's being with my son when he's learning how to play hockey and he's scoring goals or, uh, you know, it's with my daughter where she's uh, saying cute things or, uh, you know, where she's asking questions about life. And uh, it's, you know, we enjoy things together. Maybe we enjoy games. We enjoy laughing. One of the funniest things and most enjoyable things for me when my daughter was growing up, she, she, she kept spilling the milk. It was like from the time she was two till the time she left home at 19, she was always spilling the milk, uh, you know, cause she's, she's having an enjoyable conversation and she knocks, oh. knocks over the milk. But let me, let me start with this first reason and it is to have godly offspring. Now, some people, if I can just address this, they, they talk like, uh, and, and this is probably not what they mean in their best selves, but there are some Orthodox Jewish teachings, some Roman Catholic teachings, that the only reason you have marriage is for children. And uh, I, would, I would caution that's not the only reason, but I would say it's an important one. Okay. So, so it is, it's, it's a part of his design, and, and just want to underline that, the, the, the function or the method by which God wants offspring to come into the world. His primary method for that is through marriage. That's correct. So, so as, as the nursery rhyme goes, you know, first comes love, then comes marriage, and then comes the baby carriage. That was, <laughs> was this the, okay, okay. I just want to make sure because, you know, we have to be very clear. The, the way the world has gone now, there is less of an emphasis on marriage and there's even less of an emphasis on family. And it, it becomes a situation where well, I, I just want a kid. You know, we can make it. We can go down to the sperm bank or we can do whatever I, I could. We can have a kid. But God's method, as he outlines here, yeah. is there's a pattern to 
how I want to do this, that marriage uh, is a great insulator and teacher and discipler and production of family for the offspring to come through. That's a primary reason or very important reason, I would say, for marriage is for procreation. Yeah. In fact, uh, let's just call this out. Uh, Sexual relationships outside of marriage, uh, all of them, if, if it's outside of marriage, it's sinful. All of them. It's it's called sexual immorality in Scripture. Uh, the word in the New Testament is uh, porneia, from which we get pornography. But uh, uh, you know, sex of any people, uh, you know, a boy and a girl, a man and a woman, uh, any sex except for the sex between a husband and wife is considered by God to be uh, sinful behavior. So not only is it not not the way to have kids, it's considered sinful by God so that we focus on doing it the way God says, which is in marriage. So you know, having kids, procreation, that's a reason, but even the method for procreation, intimacy, sex, that is outside of bounds, it is sinful, but inside of the bounds of marriage, it is right enjoyable and good yes okay. uh anthony let me just so that uh our listeners can maybe check me out with the scriptures i want to read to you a, a passage uh from scripture about this just so folks don't feel like we're just making it up so i'm going to take everybody to ephesians chapter 5 verse 3 here's what the apostle paul under god's inspiration says But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. So that word porneia, it's used for any kind of sexual relationship outside of a husband and wife marriage. Okay, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. He goes on and says this in verse 4, Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. This is the soberness of it. For of this you can be sure. This is God's word, not not mine. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who, who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. So the sexual immorality thing is a big deal. The Bible says it's literally, you've got to repent of that behavior or you won't enter the kingdom of God. Now you repent by faith because you trust Jesus. It's part of trusting and following Jesus is that we uh, turn away from sinful behaviors. Mm, okay. So these are a couple of reasons we got here. Sex, it's, it's good in the bounds of marriage. Can I just share a passage about that, the goodness of sex? We're going to come back to this uh, <clears throat> in this series uh, when we talk about the Song of Songs. But let me just read to you uh, the, these next verses because I, I think that it's so important to realize the goodness of the sexual relationship. Um, again, you have had in history some groups that talk like the only reason for sex is to have kids. Or I'm sorry, the only reason for marriage is to have kids. 
Well, one of the reasons when you become one with your wife is to have kids. But God also teaches that he made sex for the enjoyment of a husband and wife. So it's a joy. Yes. It's one of the joys we share. Uh, and it's a good one. And uh, not only is it a joy that we share, but it actually bonds us together. Uh, a lot of studies have been done that show that repeated sexual relationships bond you together. And it's the joy, it's the endorphins uh, of your bodies coming together and, and experiencing what God intends. So God puts it this way. Listen, listen to this. Uh, in the book of Proverbs, uh, talking about uh, your wife, and it says, uh, she's yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. In the bounds of marriage, absolutely good. That's good. So, so that's both for, by the way, for men and women. The, yeah. the section I was reading from Proverbs, of course, was written in its first instance for young men. And so it describes within the bonds of marriage. So, so marriage is for having children. It's for enjoying sex. It's for partnership, uh, like when when it describes, as we said in the book of Genesis, that uh, she is a helper, uh, a strong help. It's this idea of partnership in the family and in the world and in for God's purposes. Like my wife is such an equal partner to me in what I'm doing. We I I do different things that she does. But it's like a tag team. Like last week when you came to my house again, we had a house full of people. Cindy is awesome at taking care of the house and, and being hospitable. So it was a partnership and it was one, it was a great meeting that we had, but it was a partnership. Likewise with my wife, you know, what I do helps to support what she does and what she does helps to support what I do. And when you talk about, you know, sometimes you know, the, the things that they do, you say, well, you know, she just, she was welcoming guests or she was preparing food, but those are things that allow you to have the focus in ministry for what you do, which is going to take care of both of you. And this partnership, as you keep using this companionship, it just continues to bless one another. And that's what a good, healthy, functioning marriage does. Uh, it's not you commanding, it's not her kowtowing, but it is rather you all are working together and that work produces uh, good work in the kingdom of God. Yeah, I think that that's right. So we've got, you have children, you enjoy the sexual relationship that God intended. Uh, there's a partnership in God's kingdom purposes for your lives. And then the fourth thing I would just say is just the joy of family relationships that spill over throughout all of life. Okay. You know, you have children, you enjoy your children, your children grow up, your children also enjoy you, hopefully, and you have this relationship of joy and uh, being in relationship, enjoying what relationship is uh, with an extended family where uh, the family unit, fathers and mothers and parents and aunts and uncles and children and grandchildren Everybody takes care of everybody. Everybody is in a relationship, a supportive, collaborative, enjoyable relationship. So, so the last one is really enjoying 
and benefiting from family relationships. Bobby, that sounds a lot like what God wants the church to be like. Yes. <laughs> that, that sounds like he's wanting, you know, parents and families and children and, and community and, and collaboration and working together and discipling all of this. And, and so if, if you've seen what we've been working out through this, and, and this is not just us dreaming this up, this is what God ordains. He talks to Adam and Eve and says, hey, this is what I want you all to do in your marriage. You leave your father and mother. You procreate. You you multiply the world, multiply your offspring, fill this world with your offspring. And that's the pattern. Well, in the same way in the church, we're to do that as the church. We are to come together in community and through disciple making we're producing more disciples. It's the whole disciples, making disciples, making disciples. But as we make that on a grander scale, you've got churches, planting churches, planting churches. It just continues to go in that narrative. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter five, as Paul is, is talking about this, and, and I love this passage because, you know, as you read Ephesians chapter five, he's building on all of these, uh, points of advice and points of instruction. But when you get to the end around verse 22 through 33, you'll start, he starts off talking about, okay, husbands, I want you to uh, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And he continues to advise, you know, husbands wash your wives in the word. It's almost like he's talking directly to, Hey, this is how marriage is supposed to work. And it is. But at the end, this is interesting. Verse number 32, he says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So what the reader would have to do is as you're reading this, we go into this deep narrative about husbands and wives and how you're supposed to be. And he says this whole time, you know what I've been talking about? Christ and the church. So I got to go back and read this again through this lens of, wait a minute, Okay, this is how it functions. So it, it's it's amazing what God does with that word. And so, uh, Bobby, if you'll help me with this, that word mystery that he uses. Yeah. This isn't whodunit mystery, yeah. right? So, you know, when we think of mystery, we can think of mystery like do-do-do-do-do-do, yeah. mystery. Uh, what it meant, the word that's used in Ephesians chapter 5 is something that is now known that was not previously known. Okay. So previously, people didn't understand that until Jesus came and Jesus gave his life up for his bride, uh, where Jesus is the ideal model of a husband, the church is the ideal model of a wife, and until Jesus died for his wife, the church, it was a mystery. But now we know that uh, the way Jesus died for his wife and loved his wife and the way his wife responds to him, that that's the best model of a marriage. Like you have, you don't have this teaching in the Old Testament before Jesus about that the role of a husband is to lay down his life for his wife and kids in the same way. Some of it's assumed, but it's not explicit. It's never, it's never made clear sure. until the person of Jesus comes and uh, 
as the Apostle Paul points out, this is the role of a husband and this is the role of a wife, modeling after Jesus in the church. So, so prior to this, prior to Christ, you, you would have marriages who, hey, we're just trying to hang on. We're just trying to do the best we can. And they would, uh, you know, look at what God is doing, but we still didn't kind of put the two. And Paul says, no, listen, this is linked together. Yeah. This is why that functions. So again, it, it, it heightens our understanding. It heightens the importance. It, 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 it really makes this, as you point out, explicit that what we're doing, which is why I say, uh, it's not about, you know, you cute, you know, she's cute. Let's be cute to get like, no, this is grand because God is using this as an evangelistic tool. Now, when the onlooker looks at Bobby and Cindy, they may not know too much about the church and about the Bible, but them seeing you should give them some sense of understanding. Wait a minute. There's something special about this. Yeah. Um, when, 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 if they knew you guys as friends, I said, man, how he talks to her, how he takes care of her, how she does this and how they forgive one another and extend grace. All of this is reflective of what he's done. So we literally, uh, show the world the truth of Jesus by how we act as husbands and wives. There you go. Mm. Hey, Anthony, I want to, just before we close this session, uh, some people are watching us or listening to us, and they're thinking, well, I'm not married, and I'm not probably going to get married. So I don't relate to what Bobby and Anthony are saying. Okay. And one of the things that you brought up is that the church is the family of God. So I want to just say a word about that. Let me read to you a passage from 1 Timothy chapter 3, where Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says in verse 15, if I'm delayed, I want you to know how people ought to conduct themselves, and he uses this word, in God's household, mm -hmm. which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. So there is a family that transcends the local family. So there's a broader family, the family of God, where literally Christians in Scripture, uh, and oftentimes in life, we're literally refer to each other as brothers and sisters, mm -hmm. brothers and sisters in Christ, mm -hmm. that uh, in the church you have mothers and fathers, like you had father. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, Charles yes. was a father yes. to you in the church. And uh, I, we're, we're going to come back to this, but the idea that the church is the family of God, where we do have brothers and sisters and children, even grandchildren, yeah. in the family of God. And for those who don't have marriage, uh, the, the church is a family uh, for for you that God wants you to be deeply involved in in that family. One of the things when I was was coming up, Bobby, uh, and understanding, you know, what it means to do chores, um, you know, got to wash the dishes, or I've got to clean up the kitchen, or got to help fold the laundry, got to cut the grass, and you're thinking, man, why do I have to do all of this? And 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 as it was explained to me as a, kid, a child. It's your part of the family. Like there are responsibilities as family members to the family. We all must contribute to the family. So the point that you're making is, although you may not be married, uh, you may not have a spouse, you may not have, you're still a part of the family of God. And being a family member 
we still have responsibilities. We have disciple making. We have teaching God's word. We have serving in the kingdom. We have all of these things that we have to do just as members of the family of God. That's right. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, this has been really helpful. It's been great. And uh, we hope that it encourages those of you who have joined us. See you all next time on Scripture in Black and White. Thank you for listening to Scripture in Black and White. Please comment, like, and subscribe. Coming up next, the fall intention between husbands and wives.